don't define it correctly, you're off on the wrong foot. Can you see how that can happen? If you, if you only see a blessing as a monetary thing, something that you can possess, something that you can feel, something tangible, you know, it's, it, it's a blessing to have this or a blessing to have that. It's those all good things. And true, nonetheless true. But if tangibility is the only thing that we got, I think we've missed the definition of what a blessing really is. And so we have to broaden our perspective on what a blessing is. And we have to make sure that we're not only looking at a blessing as a monetary thing. So I think that's a good lesson. Uh, the culture we live in would say that such a notion doesn't make logical sense. I think I already read that. But, um, a similar issue presented itself in the New Testament times. Jesus challenged conventional thinking. He always did. That was one reason he found himself in such conflict with religious leaders of his time. He advocated a lifestyle that differed from the norms they taught. And you can rest assured if, if Jesus was fighting the religious leaders of the time, and, and it wasn't just the religious leaders too, you understand he was fighting against the politics of the time also, uh, constantly in, in fight against that. If you're going to be, and let's go back to the central truth, if you're going to be a kingdom person and you're going to adapt, adopt the values of God, you will come into conflict with the politics of the time. You will come into conflict with the leaders of the time. But that shouldn't be something that you're upset about or that's even out of the ordinary. Now, I'm no different than I think than anyone else. I mean, if you give me a choice, and I just I'm I like to be transparent as possible. But if you give me a choice, leave me alone. Let me get away from all this. Leave me alone. Let me just live my life. Let me raise my kids in peace. Anyone with me? But Unfortunately, for, for uh, you know, our sake, sometimes we think that that's the best way to go. Just leave me alone. Don't let me, don't let me get involved. We can't do that. Uh, we have to be involved. Your voice has to be heard by somebody. I mean, if I bring it up, Tanner, they're going to they're gonna get mad because I know the way they are. But you're the only voice in their life that's going to do it. And if, you are, if you're not the ones, quote unquote, take this the right way, if you're not the one stirring up that kind of trouble, then who is? You get what I'm saying? I'm not saying you're out doing anything bad. I'm saying if you're not the one stirring up that mess, if you're not the one throwing in truth and throwing in an alternate way of looking into things and say, hey, have you ever thought about it from a biblical standpoint? And even though they might blow up and even though they might explode and even though they might disagree, because there was never no guarantee, right? that once you did spread the gospel that everyone would just agree with you. There's a, like a, I don't know what the percentages are, but there's a really high chance that they're not gonna agree with you. But if you're not doing it, if you're not the voice, then who's gonna be the voice? I think we've, we have waited, and I, maybe you haven't. From a personal perspective, I've made this mistake. I think we've wagered too much on our leaders to fight for the things that we believe in as Christians. We have wagered that our politicians would have our best interests at heart and they would fight for us so we could continue to come into church and be left alone. Well, I don't know if you can tell it or not, but it's kind of knocking at our door. And the politicians aren't doing anything about it. In fact, if I was, if, if I was just look, going off of what I'm seeing, it almost seems like they're opening the door and allowing it in. And so then that comes back to, to this point. Who's going to be the voice? It's not going to be them. 
That's not going to be what they're saying. They're saying things contrary. Even the best of them aren't saying the right things. That leaves you and me to be the voice and to stir up the trouble and, uh, and to, to inject truth in, into whatever situation that we're, we're, we're involved in. And it might stir some stuff up. It might upset the politics of the time. But we got to do it. But if, if, if we don't do it, then, then there's definitely no hope and there's nothing left. And yes, you're right. You know, we should just end this thing right now and be, and be it over. But it's not over yet. And we're still here. There's still souls to be saved, right? Yeah. So there's still work to be done. Okay, I'm sorry, Stace. Go ahead. <clears throat> Listen to these words very carefully. Once upon a time, the politics used to have our best interest in mind. Mm, yeah. And now, one small voice can stand up and say, we don't want that being taught in our schools. Mm -hmm. one, sure. one individual did that. Yep. One individual did that. Now you don't have prayers in school anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't want to whip our children anymore. So no more corporal punishment. Yep. One, one did that. Right. And so... That one, let's take that and let's flip it too, because I think that's a good point you're making. One made the difference on the side. But can we also say that one would make the difference for the Christian boys? One made the difference in the very beginning. Yeah, one made the difference in the very beginning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. And so, do is it is it possible we undervalue the the effort of one? Oh yeah. Maybe. Maybe we do. Maybe we're, we undervalue that. Maybe we undervalue uh, our ability to actually make an impact and to change things. And I think that's what's not. And it's coupled with a lot of things. And I know that there's a lot to speak on here. It's coupled with a lot of things. And it, I think it is coupled with the times that we're living in. And I think it is coupled with the idea that people will just want to be left alone. Just let me live my life. But it, if we don't be that person now, then, then for surely we're, we're, we're going down a path that we cannot change. And going along with what I was saying, if we don't stand up and we don't have a a, a back the backbone to do so, you know, there's there's all kinds of things that kids are standing up for that they don't even understand. No, that's yeah. a good point. You know, they're they're running with it, and and let the school teach them, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know we're, what you mean. We're yeah. not. We're not. Uh, we're not upholding the Christian values that need to be taught. That our country was founded on and that yeah. we've lived on and that's made us successful people. Okay, let's keep moving. As we have seen over the past two studies, Christian discipleship calls for complete surrender of ourselves to Christ and commitment to walk in His ways. Amen. Sometimes we envision God's plan for our lives as singular and monolithic, <laughs> a calling to pastor a church or service in ministry, for example. I think this is a really good point that the lesson makes, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but that's really good. That's really good because I believe a lot of Christians see it just like that, have singular, and what monolithic is pretty much the same thing. That's, that's what it's saying. It's just a singularity kind of perspective on everything that God called me to A, B, a, B C, or D, whatever, and that's what I do. That's who I am, and I, I'm not offering nothing else. That's just what I do. And to think that that's the only way that you can be called. And then, too, we could, we could obviously take that a bit deeper 
and to think the only people that are called are actually people who hear a voice. Oh, I heard him. Or I, I felt him speak to me and tell me to do this. I have run into many, many people over the years. This is the honest truth. Over the years of people coming to me and asking me questions, what do you think I should do? And it's like, man, I just wish God would speak to me like he speaks to you. You know how many times I've heard that? It's like, okay, first of all, you're barking up the totally wrong tree because you're already using me. And probably many of us have done this at some point. We, we look at someone else and we say, I want God to do it that way. And we're looking for our calling often for this voice, waiting for him to speak this voice. And it's like, ah, I got it. That's it. Man, if that's what you've been waiting for, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going up in age now and I'm thinking, you know, there are certain things that I thought might happen in my life, hadn't happened yet. And I'm thinking, you know, now that I see things a different way, they probably ain't going to go down like that. Start to get some wisdom, you know, with life. And, and maybe it's time that we understand that when God is using us, sometimes the thing that you're supposed to be involved in is the thing you're involved in right now. Amen. And no voice has to speak to you and no, no light has to shine out of the sky. I, those, are great, those are great stories. And I love those stories that people share. But that is not the norm standard. It's not. If that was the case, then, I mean, everybody would have this great, crazy, wild story to tell. And, and, but that's not, that's not real life. That's not real life. And I think when it comes down to real Christianity, that's not real Christianity either. Sometimes God will show you a scripture and give you direction. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sometimes he says, right here, this is where I need you to go right here. This is what I need you to do. Sometimes he can come in a way that we're not expecting. But are we open for that? Okay. Uh, Jesus' teaching helps us uh, see that God's plan permeates our lives, touching everything that we would say or do. The life of a disciple is transformational. Living as Jesus taught helps us positively impact our culture as we live in a way that others might consider upside down. All right. Let's go and read our scriptures. Haley, if you would. One day, as he saw the crowd gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose heart are, hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. 
But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask them. Thank you. Amen. Here we go. Part one, unusual blessings. We were talking about blessings, right? Defining blessings in section one's title is unusual blessings. I'll take an unusual blessing, won't you? Amen. Amen. I'll take that. Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, were different from what his audience was used to hearing. The fundamental principle Jesus repeated was the direct personal role God played in the lives of his children. When he said, you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect, he made that relationship very clear. So, I mean, you think about some of the things that were being uh, said up to that point scripturally. He was, uh, when he said that, it was, it was the ending to those stanzas of scriptures uh, as far as the chapter was concerned. When he said, you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect, he was coming off of speaking about loving your enemies, which that's, you put that in the right context. That's really good because he's challenging you and me to be like him. Loving your enemies. Another one um, uh, was, uh, you know, we, we needed to be just people, be people of God and challenging us uh, to go after what was right and the things that are right. I could get really hung up um, on loving your enemies, really hung up on that. Uh, because going back to, you know, everybody defines blessings, right, a little bit differently. Everybody defines enemy a bit differently. And, and I don't know what your definition of that is, and I don't know what you deal with on a personal day-to-day basis. Um, but that's the thing that's been pointed out to me, and I've, I've spoken this to some, some others that are in my circle that I talk to. Um, the importance of loving the people that are unlovable are loving the people that turn you and rub you the wrong way. Anybody been rubbed wrong lately? Yeah. One of the things that I find um, that's difficult is loving the people in leadership positions that are making decisions for me. That's hard. That's hard to do. I get upset sometimes. And I've, I've been checked on this. I've been checked on making sure that I keep my love correct. Make sure you're praying for the people that are are making these decisions. And, and yeah, I get upset. But then I ask myself, am I praying for these people? Am I praying for wisdom for these people? You think, well, it's not going to make a difference. Man, are you telling me that we're just going to quit praying altogether? <clears throat> we're just going to quit praying altogether. Let me let me be more specific. Let me just, let me be more specific. I think we need to, I need to do this. Are you praying for Biden's cognitive health? Yeah. I'm just asking a question. Are we praying for his cognitive health? Or I'm with you, you know, that we see these things and it disturbs us and we think, well, you shouldn't even be in there. Okay, I'm with you. But the question was, are you praying for him? You hold him up in prayer. Mm-hmm. You say, well, it doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. We don't pray. Well, think about this. What if we just, okay, let's just look at it this way. Let's just give ourselves a free pass card. Free pass. We're not going to pray for these people that we dislike. Or that make bad decisions. What's next? What's next? What's the next move? The next move is the next time somebody rubs you the wrong way or somebody does you wrong or doesn't make good decisions in your life. Ah, you cut off. Don't need you. You're you're not important. (laughs) You see, you see the, this is why he was talking. When he talked about loving your enemies, 
and, or loving the people that were hard to love, loving the people that were unlovable. This was an inclusive package of everybody that you define in your life that's not doing their job correctly, not making the right decisions, uh, maybe coming against you personally. We could take an enemy and we could put that in a lot of different areas. So when we start talking about the use of love, how are we using that love? And is it is it conducive to what he said when he wrapped up those scriptures? You are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, we suffer the consequences of not doing that in not praying for our enemies. We suffer the consequences. Yes, that's a good point. It makes a difference in our life. Yes, absolutely. It, it, it really does. So we think we're... We're doing it right by we have the the you know the right perspective you know we need to be upset about this and angry about it. and I'm with you you know because sometimes you do get upset over decisions that are made I I don't think there's anyone that's going to deny I'm really upset about some decisions that have been made recently but that's not a call to quit praying that's not a call that's actually a call to pray and and more and more so I think we've all been in agreement that the reason we're here is because the church hasn't adequately done its job come on now. Judgment starts in the church, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It, it all starts with the role of the church. And so the church has been out of politics for quite some time. And now here the church is trying to figure out how to get its grounding and traction to get back involved again. And it's unsure. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's the way I've seen that. The church is struggling for traction. They're not sure, what are we supposed to do? What are we? In? And, and if, they can, if they can get past arguing amongst themselves... That'd be great because we're still seeing churches split people are in disagreement disarray with each other how are we ever going to come together and pray adequately effectively what, Pastor? Uh, i think it was an englishman uh, edward bark is a historical figure yeah i know that yeah the said, uh, all that's necessary for evil triumph is for good men to do nothing that's right that's right that's, that's what we're seeing one of the most powerful statements ever made I, that's yeah very powerful. Yes, the, that impact of, of, of one person. Okay, let's keep moving. Traditionally called the Beatitudes, the blessings promised in verses 8 through 10 move beyond emotional happiness and beyond the idea of rewards we often call blessings. When God blesses us, he brings uh, to fruition his plan for us. Okay, so maybe it was mentioned before, but one of the blessings is seeing his plan come to pass in your life. The plan, his plan, it's working. We're seeing God move. He's present. That's that's a blessing. It's it's a. Well, what's the opposite of? We could say it's a curse. It's a curse if if you're not following God's plan for your life, and it's evil that's transpiring. Did we have to repent the blessing? Oh, that's good. Is that nice, sir? Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, I did just say, go ahead, Pastor Smith or you had said a couple of weeks ago that we shouldn't even, I think it was Pastor Smith said we shouldn't even get a, we've already got a blessing because of Jesus or something to that effect, so I think on that all the time. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, I mean, do do you have to see it coming in? Do you have to have it wrapped up like a... the uh, vision, what I'm doing is for blessing. I mean, Jesus said it, we will be blessed, I'm not... That's exactly right. That's perfect. That's that right there is is 
I mean, just my overall attitude, that, that right there is, is you know, uh, in the culture, or I say the church culture. Let's use church culture, and then I'm going to get to Jim. The, the, <coughs> the church culture, often you see a lot of people thinking on the wrong terms when it comes to uh, uh, even tithing and money and how they handle their money. Everything is about what I'm going to get in return. I'm going to give this, and I'm going to get this back. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't even think about that kind of stuff <laughs> when I'm tithing. It's like, it's owed to you. It's yours anyway. And what you do with it, if you turn it around for whatever blessing you want, if I don't see anything, that's good enough. Yahweh would to you anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that's such a powerful thing because that plays in so many different areas of our life. It's easy, as long as you see what you do with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point, yeah. You just, let's just see what you do with all this. That's good. Go ahead, Jim. You know, it says in the Bible, you know, God knows. Mm-hmm what you need before you ask. Yep. And then over in the other part, it says, it, it, it didn't tell you just to keep it to yourself, did it? It says, ask right. and you shall receive. Yep. If you don't ask, mm-hmm. then you, you may not get it. Mm, he good. knows what you need, all right, yep. but he wants you to ask him for it. Absolutely, good. And, and and not only that, he wants you to have the the uh, spirit within you that you can believe that mm-hmm. you're gonna get it when you do ask. Right, okay, good. Let's keep moving. In each statement in verses 3 through 9, Jesus connected some of his life's most difficult experiences with the blessing, happiness, and purpose given by the Father. He took these difficulties and shaped them into expressions of yearning for communion with God. Whether or not we are penniless, if we open our eyes to our spiritually impoverished state and turn to God, he will begin to build his kingdom within us. We agree with that? So that's it, right? Yeah, that's it right there. It's it's like, forget about the, the monetary aspect of it. What are you? What value can you place on the spiritual aspect of it? And I've heard most people say, "I can't put a value on it." There's, I don't even have words to, yeah, no descriptive term to explain to you what transformation has happened and how excited I am and how happy I am. Okay, if that is the case, then there's no way you can take something of monetary and then transfer that over the spiritual and it make any kind of sense at all. So that becomes within itself priceless because you've taken the monetary away from it so what that means is now it's priceless to you sorrow and mourning brings god intimate comfort humility leads to immeasurable inheritance and hunger and thirst for god's righteousness bring fulfillment and satisfaction okay so one of the things that I want to point out is at the beginning there, it said sorrow and mourning bring God's intimate comfort. Now, obviously, this is, I think, referring to sorrow and mourning in regards uh, to just being hurt or things happening that bring sorrow or bring hurt, um, and then he's there to comfort us. One of the things that Pastor and I were talking about the other day, and um, we mentioned it here, um, is, is just simply the church coming back to the sorrow and mourning of the state of sin. Sin, just sin in itself. Just then what that is is being mournful, and, and that's and that's something I think we forgot even as as a church is that you don't have to be sinning. This is this is a, a, a secret in my opinion. You don't have to be sinning or have some sort of um, de- uh, deficiency where you you're in sin to mourn sin. Did you know that? A lot of people think that the reason we have to come to the altar is because we're in some sort of depredative state spiritually and we need help. 
Have you ever considered the fact that we would just mourn the state of our society today and that sin is running rampant? Did you ever think that you could possibly just cry tears for something else other than you? And, and simply mourn the fact that everything is in a bad condition. Think about that for just a minute. Because that is exactly the things that spurned early revivals in America. It's just the, and you think, man, they wouldn't really, they wouldn't do anything back there. I've read the, the, like the diary inserts of pastors in, coming out of the 1900s. They were talking about churches entertaining their congregation back in the 1900s. Yeah. Yeah, I seen some of the, I actually seen the diary inserts. They're writing this stuff. They're like, they need to stop this entertainment and get back down to morning sin. And I'm thinking, that was in like 1901. And you think it's, you think it's more depravative now? Absolutely. You think back then, I mean, the majority, statistically, the majority of people were going to church. They were going to church. It was like almost a prerequisite for certain jobs. Being a teacher. You better be active in your church. You better be going. You, you, you couldn't take up certain positions if you weren't active in the church. If you weren't going on a Sunday morning, you weren't regarded. Now, how far have we gone from that? And now, now, it's changed so much that there's no tears anymore. And I would say that that's to me. And you think, well, where are you at then on this, Tanner? Yeah, you know what? I'm working on my heart, too. I done shared with you last week. There's, there's things that we got to quit laughing about, and we got to start mourning them because it's the depravity of, of, of our society. And getting back to a place where we mourn the state of it because I don't know if, I don't, personally, me, I don't know if I can teach properly if I don't see sin properly. That makes sense? I don't think you're going to witness the way that you need to witness if you don't see sin properly. If sin is mostly regarded as accepted and hilarious, then what have you got to talk about? What have you got to share if sin is kind of okay? You see what I'm saying? So that's a lesson for us because those are the things that spurned these revivals back in the early days was the mourning over sin. They were just sad that sin existed and that people were involved in it. And so they would come and they were repenting on their behalf. That brings the conviction. Yeah. That's what brings conviction. Yes, it does. Which is right to Yes. Where's the conviction at? Go ahead, Jim. We should should we just get down to the altar and pray a little bit and have a little nudge and you know mm. satisfy you. Right. Kind of like a drink of water sometimes. Mm. Just a little drink to satisfy you. Right. But over here in, in verse six. Good point. And you can read each one of them in the verses here. Mm -hmm. It says, Blessed are the uh it says, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Right. Well they shall be filled. Yeah. Now that's spirit filled. That's not just yeah. a, that's not just a little place. And the other it says you will be uh it says that you will be uh that you'll be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a whole lot of satisfaction, just a little bit of it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's, that's a good point. That's the reason. Now, I, I I don't you know I don't try to do away with the other thing, but now they change the name of it to the New International Version to the the Living Translation. <laughs> I couldn't even stand it yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Let me finish this out. We got to keep going. 
Jesus then shifted beyond attitudes into the realm of action. The call to mercy speaks of relationships. Call to mercy, which is, we could say that's forgiveness, right? That's forgiveness. It's a, they're, they're connected. Uh, pure hearts and address motives. In addition, we are to work for peace in a world riddled with conflict. In each case, God responds with concrete benefits. Okay. Uh, in Matthew 5.10, Jesus was not saying that his followers should expect only conflict and persecution every day. Now, some, this is true though, some are in it every day, some are not. Scripture describes the godly man or woman who faithfully lives out God's truth as prosperous relationally and even materially, though not to the extremes that some people teach. Well, let's go back to that because I asked you, I said, you know, we say monetary things are not the only things to look at. You're right, but why, you think, why, why do you always harp on that, Tanner? Why do you always talk about that? It's because of the culture we live in. I think you have to be constantly reminded, the same way I need to be constantly reminded, that material things are just not that important. I need to be reminded of that, especially in a society where money is, is very fluent. And it's, it's easy. You believe it's not. You may think it's not, but it's easy to make money in our country right now. And so it's easy to gain it. It's easy to, to grab it. It's easy to go over there and get whatever we desire, what we want. We can get it. Those are all great things, and I would say that the reason you're even able to do that is because of the way that God had blessed this nation initially, and we're still living off that blessing. Yeah. Still living off of it. So, but what has happened is that it has been so singled out, prosperity. Pastor and I were talking about this also on the phone the other night, about the prosperity teaching that's still going on today. Prosperity, man, you just, you need to... And I told him a story, and I don't, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I actually seen this. I mean, this really was right there on a TV station, on stage. They were right there, and this guy said, he said, I'm just feeling right now that there's a businessman out there that he just needs to give his last dollar. He's broke, but he's got some in reserve. He needs to give that last dollar, and God is going to turn around you a blessing, and he's going to bless you, and your company is going to take off, and everything is going to work out. And I'm like, man, that is really singled out. I'm thinking, well, that, you know, you, which, you know, think that's kind of like a blanket statement. All business people, anybody that's self-employed or in some sort of business, anybody that's got a savings account or any kind of money stashed, you could apply that to. And telling them that you're going to get blessed totally if you'll give your last dollar. Whatever happened to wisdom? You know, whatever happened to wisdom? And so that's the... That's where we're at today, and I think this is why we need to talk about these kind of things, because that's the kind of stuff we're hearing. And we need to be reminded, that does not work that way. It doesn't. Does God want you to have nice things? Sure he does. But you already got them, okay? You already got them. They're, they're already, you already got them. You already got the nice thing. So what's the use of thinking that we're just going to keep getting more, right? I'm going to keep getting more. There's another blessing waiting for me around the corner. How many blessings do you need to finally realize that you're already living in the blessing? Uh -huh. I am. And that actually what should be done is that you fight to keep it, not give it away. And then say, oh, we made a mistake. God, would you bless me again, please? <sighs> now, I've said this before, but, you know, it's something, it's something else. You know, I read the Bible and God, you know, there's a lot of things happen to us in this life. Yep. But God didn't promise us 
rose garden. Mm -mm. But he promised us somebody to help us. Help us, absolutely. He did. And, and, and through it, these things that, that gets to us throughout yep. our life. Absolutely. Good point. And without him, there's things that we just couldn't handle. No, I agree. That's a good point, Jim. Okay. Jesus used the concept of persecution to drive home the truth that this would um, and unredeemed humanity are fallen and will eventually pass away. Those who accept the gospel and are redeemed will find themselves living within a world system deeply influenced by Satan and in clear opposition to Christ. Amid the trials we face, however, God is present. In the very midst of persecution, God is with us. Even as mocking, persecution, and slander come against us, God is present. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs, Jesus said of his faithful ones. Rather than any response of gloom or despair, he calls us to respond with joy as we look ahead to heaven's reward through the eyes of faith. And the only way that you're even going to look forward to heaven, the only way that you look forward to heaven, is if the importance of monetary and material things become less important to you here. The more important that they are here, the less important heaven is. All right? Let's keep moving. Too many good points. Still in the angel... Uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm misspelling some of these words. I'm not pronouncing them. I don't have my glasses. You can see. I left them at the house, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> Salt in the ancient world was not easy to come by. It was even used as currency at times. Greeks bought slaves with salt. This is, if you ever researched this, this is very interesting, salt being used as currency. I don't know if you've ever researched that. It's, it's very interesting the, that how salt was used, not just for that, but for everything. I mean, it was literally a currency. Um, and the expression, not worth his salt, comes from the unfortunate practice. Do you ever think, do you, ever, do you know that? Interesting, not worth the salt. You've heard that saying before? Roman legions were sometimes paid in salarium. <laughs> Sal being the Latin word for salt, which from which we get salary. Salt was a preservative. With no refrigeration in Bible times, this function was far more valuable than its flavor. Salt provided a powerful picture of how Christ's followers were to live. They were precious agents of change in a fallen and debased culture. They were to bring about restoration and preservation, influencing the lost to turn to God. That was the, your, that's it right there. What we were talking about at the beginning. If you're not the one to say something, if you're not the one to actually make the impact, then what are we doing? Then what's the purpose? And, and it's good, and, and I think the lesson will make it here in just a minute. It's good that you live a good life and that you go to church and we, we do those things. But I think it even goes farther than that, right? That we... We get involved in the things and the important issues of the time and then we make sure the voice of God is heard. The voice of God is heard, not your voice, not your opinion, not your idea, but that the voice of God, biblical reasoning. You with me? Mm -hmm. Biblical reasoning, things that come from the, the word of God, not just, and it's, and it's great to talk politics with people. It's great to have conversations about that. I'm all for that. I like those kind of conversations. But, I'm still a voice for what's right according to thus saith the Lord. So then I have to call myself an accountability on those lines. Not just did I vote for the right person. Okay? That's, there's, there's, there's more to it than that. Okay. The salt of Jesus' day contained impurities, so the salt could leach away and leave the residue. Likewise, Jesus' followers could fall in their mission and prove ineffective. Christ's original hearers probably envisioned the salt dregs that were scattered on their earthen roofs to harden the material and prevent leaks. 
Roofs were built to be stood on, so the salt was trampled underfoot. A compelling picture of believers who fail to bring positive change to a culture. People who are described as honest and understanding are called the salt of the earth. But Jesus wants us to be seen as more than just truthful. We are to be his agents for pointing people to the ultimate truth. Well, how do you do that, though? How do you point? Someone tell me, someone tell me actually how you do that. How do you point people to the ultimate truth? Better live it. Okay, live it. What else? You tell them the gospel. Okay, you tell them the gospel? With the truth? That, okay, I don't know if you know this or not. It's a bit of an inclusive package. If you're going to share the truth, if you're going to, to, to live it, if you're going to share the gospel, you will also have to approach and engage what is wrong. You know that? It isn't just like these people are out there and they're just kind of waiting around and they don't really have a narrative and then you stumble on them and they're like, oh, oh, you found the gospel. I didn't have anything else to believe in. I'll believe in, I'll believe in your God. And it's just so easy. No, you're going to have to approach what is inherently wrong and sinful. Yes, that means you'll have to engage. That means you're going to have, this is where it actually comes down to. You're going to have to stand for what's right. Is there going to be a disagreement? You betcha. Yeah, there's going to be some disagreement. And this is where we usually backpedal. This is where we usually backpedal. It's like, no, 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 no. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to do those kind of things. We're not supposed to, well, I mean, for the sake of the gospel, we're not going to mention the truth. We're not going to mention the truth just because they disagree with us. That's exactly what he's talking about here. That's what the lesson's talking about. That's what the word was speaking about. Okay. So... The world's engulfed in sin. We don't want to approach anybody. And we don't want to start an argument. Where's it all going to go? Nobody's saying, nobody's speaking truth. Nobody's engaging the faults of the world. Where's it all going to go? It's going downhill. Like, I, I mean, like a, like a bad roller coaster. I mean, the tilt's bad, and I mean, it's headed straight down. And, and, it's, and it's falling off the tracks. You are the one that's going to have to present the argument that what he did is the thing that's going to save them from the sin that they don't realize that they're committing. Amen. It's got to be us. And, and I wished it was different. I really do. And I'm still trying to call myself into a different place. And I've got to engage this in from a different angle because I believe we're running out of time. Right? We're running out of time. Not just for you. You should already know better. Right? Because this isn't about you anymore, is it? No. This is about someone else. Uh -huh. This is about someone else that needs you to approach them and engage them and challenge their belief system. Hey, have you ever thought about Christ on the cross? Have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered um, what he did was to save us from our sins that we could be in heaven with him? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about life after death? Where are you going after this thing's over? Real simple approach. Where are you going when this thing's over? Uh, never really thought about it. Probably a good time to think about it. We're all going to die sometime, right? There is a Savior that actually talked about that. I'm just, I'm just giving you some simple grassroots stuff you can start up a conversation with because the church has is, is really got to be adamant right now, more adamant than ever, about challenging people's belief systems and, and, and getting in there and, and getting this thing done. Yeah, I went down to uh, Dallas down there, went in the big place there where they had the, 
the Dead Scrolls, read part of it. Mm -hmm. It would take you probably a week to go down through there and read it all. Oh, I bet. Uh, but I read, I was there a few hours, and I read where that they broke down the scriptures in it and wrote the, wrote the King James Version. Fifty people filled with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Help write this. Yeah. I don't know how many people was was with this one that wrote the new right. translation. Right. Yeah. I know what that, you're saying, uh, Joe. That, you know, that's, that stood out to me because 50 people were agreeing. Yeah, in agreement. talking about it mm -hmm. and then writing this, writing the Bible, King James Version. Mm -hmm. in, in agreement. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Let's go into the, I'm going to read this last uh, two couple. Them, it was the Spirit. Right. Last couple paragraphs and then we're going to close. Too often when Christians speak of letting their light shine, it is a passive expression as if just going about one's daily routine without falling into any obvious sin is all that Jesus meant by this command in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. I think it's kind of funny because I actually think there's more truth to that than we believe. That it's, it's like, as long as I don't obviously trip and fall in front of everybody, I should be okay, right? Once again, here we go back to the, that should be enough, right? I don't know, you tell me. Is, is heaven and hell, I mean, you start weighing those things, is it enough just to say, yeah, that ought to be all right? It's, it's got to be more definitive than that. When applied this way, much of the personal responsibility Jesus connected with this teaching is ignored. While Jesus began the illustration with city on a hill and an uncovered lamp, which are, of course, seen, he connected the believer's light with action. Our good deeds are what shine for all to see. More than personal activities, these actions have an effect on others to the point that people respond with praise to God. Now, what I define this as is getting things done. Getting things done. Meaning that the person who's actually doing this, and we talk about good deeds, that's not, that's intentional, okay? Good deeds are intentional. This is what it's speaking about here. Doing something <clears throat> for someone, injecting forgiveness, injecting uh, mercy, injecting it, like making sure people know that you are a person of God and that you have morals and values that you stand for. Not this kind of like, <coughs> I hope they don't ask me. <laughs> I hope they don't see me. I hope that I don't have to answer for that. I really don't want to get involved. I don't think any of us are going to really say it out loud, but a lot of us are like that internally. Talk about internally. Ah, just not me. Not me. Please, not me. It's got to be you. It really does. Okay. And the last paragraph. The reference to praising God in verse 16 is important on two levels. First, it included the idea that Christ's followers witness to a lost world through actions that affect the lives of the lost and invite them into a redemptive encounter with the Heavenly Father. That is exactly what we're after, right? That encounter with the Heavenly Father. We want them to experience that. Second, it shows that any praise for good deeds rightfully belongs to God rather than any person. Amen. Jesus never taught a gospel of works. We can never earn our salvation through good deeds. However, listen very closely to the however. Uh -huh. We demonstrate the reality of what Christ has accomplished in us by our good works. Amen. That's the reality of the situation. It's like, okay, if you can't actually earn it, so we know that, but you can make an announcement of where you stand and who you stand for by what you do. It's, it's linear, not flipped, okay? It's not the works first and then the salvation and the spiritual reward. It's the spiritual first in the reality of, okay, I get it. 
Now I'm going to act on what I know. I'm going to act on what I know needs to be done. That just goes hand in hand. And that's your whole life. You're going to be doing that from now until you take your last breath. Just don't get it confused. We need to, we need to understand, especially in our, in our culture, that, it, that works are, are fantastic. But let's make sure they're in the right spot, right place, and that your motive is out of a love for God and that you want to see people impacted, not that you get something in return. I'm out of time, guys. God bless you. Thank you.